This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Mark Willard, and this is Inside Giant Moments, presented by T-Mobile, an official San Francisco Giants podcast. In season one, we looked back at some of the most iconic moments in franchise history. Now, it's time to focus on the present and future. We'll cover memorable wins and the off-field moments, interests, and personalities of the 2021 Giants team and staff. Join us for season two of Inside Giant Moments, now. We spend a lot of time talking to the Giants, but no one talks to the Giants more than the people who do it exclusively for a living. The beat writers almost seem like members of the team themselves. We caught up with two of them for the first of two episodes that take you behind the scenes of their gig, how it's changed through COVID, and what they really think of the hot start for the 2021 Giants. First up, Alex Pavlovich of NBC Sports Bay Area. I was trying to look this up, and I couldn't figure out exactly how long you've been doing it. I just know it's been a long time. Uh, (laughs) I I look at you, and, and, and there's bags. Hank just retired. Chris Haft also just moved on. There's not a lot of turnover on this beat. Why do you think that is? Um, it, it's a fun beat, first of all. I, yeah. I think it, it's, a, it's a great beat to have it in terms of, like, I couldn't imagine another team I would want to cover. Um, I, I've been doing this since 2012. So I, I know for me personally, like, I got on the beat, and I think three months later, Matt came to a perfect game. And <laughs> Buster Posey is the MVP that year. They win the World Series. So, I was pretty much hooked from the beginning and it was something I wanted to do, but I, you know, everybody that you mentioned who's done this for a while, like even the guys who Henry did it since I think 1990 or something like that. And, and at some point he got to experience some really cool things. And even before that. Um, so I, I just think it's a great beat. It's a great city. I always tell people like, you know, my office is Oracle park. I couldn't ask for anything better. Right. Right. Absolutely. And how did you fall into this? If you will, what was, what was the route you took? Uh, it was very circuitous. Circuitous. I, I get that question a lot from like, you know, college kids. Um, and it really was like a. I worked at a paper coming out of college, and then I, I wanted to come home. I'm from the Bay Area. I grew up in the South Bay, uh, and I just wanted to be home. I had been away for for five years, and and so I ended up uh, getting in touch with the San Jose Mercury News, and I was working full time at this paper, and they're like, the only thing we can do is maybe in a few months we might have a job open up as an agate clerk, which I don't even think exists anymore. But you're basically like the guy who is sitting there at 11 o'clock at night when a high school basketball coach calls and says, let me give you, your, let me give you our box score. So um, they didn't want to hire me because they, they said, you know, it's, it's a big step down. And uh, my boss at the time actually convinced my future boss. He was like, no, he really wants to go home. He wants to be back in the Bay Area. And I just wanted to be at a big paper and start to get a chance to prove myself. So I did that. And then just a, a series of breaks from there, I, um, our high school writer who had been there for like 25 years, he ended up moving to Georgia. And so a year later, I got that job and became full time. And then um, Andrew Baggerly, you know, a couple of years after that, gets hired by what was then Comcast. And it happened right before spring training. And I was in the building and I backed him up a little bit and, and done some good work and they're like, do you want to go to Scottsdale and, and just see what happens? And I went and I, I just, you know, didn't end up coming back all spring. And I think it was the day after Kane's perfect game that they're like, you know what? You proved you can write on deadline. You've proven pretty much everything that we need of you. So let's make you the full-time guy. Uh, so I, I think, you know, a lot of hard work goes into it, but certainly was in the right place at the right time, especially when Bags decided to, to move on. So everyone thought Kane's perfect game was a big deal for him. I, I guess it was a bigger deal for you. Like, you still have the job. He's all done. It really was. I was kind of sitting there waiting. I'm like, it's. I think it was June 13th or something like that. I'm like, we're getting kind of deep into the season here. I'm still like the interim guy. I, I always had like peeking over my shoulder a little bit, hoping some 30-year veteran didn't come in the door behind me. Um, and, yeah, I think it was literally the next morning. Like, they sent out a memo saying, just wanted to congratulate Alex. Like, he – I think that was the final test. It was like, can you cover something big on deadline? 
because we, we know this team might be going back to the World Series. So that was a big test and, and a really fun night, and I, I didn't realize how big it would be for me. Unreal. And, and, of course, it's changed since then, too, in so many ways. I think for all of you, you know, the, you are a writer. Now it's a writer and a talker and a podcaster and a digital content creator. Like, how would you describe how this has changed through the decade? Oh, man. I mean, I started out, you know, as a guy writing game stories, and that might be the final thing I do every day now. I mean, for me, there's there's the pregame show. You mentioned the podcast. That was the first one on the Giants beat to have one. Now I think all of us have one. Right. I, I, so it was like it's everybody has a podcast now. Uh, social media, I mean, certainly when I started, you know, I, uh, Henry Shulman used to call me the lineup monkey because I figured out that people are obsessed with the lineup every day. And so I'd be, be the first one down at the clubhouse. I'd race down there and do what I could to get the lineup out first because it was just something I could do to kind of break in with, with these guys who had been doing it forever. Um, and that was like my thing. It was just posting the lineup on Twitter. And now it's like we're on Twitter all day long, um, you know, all sorts of things. And, and, you know, I'm on Instagram. I think there are probably beat writers on TikTok and things like that. Like it's just all encompassing now, but I think it's good. I I think, you know, we get to give people content in in a lot of different ways and and not just a traditional, like 10 different things happen today. It's going to be in this one story at the end of the day. So I think there's a lot of different ways now that we can give people their Giants coverage. Well, no doubt. And, and for example, uh, the digital content that, that you do put out, where, where does Alex Eats fit into the greatest work-related things <laughs> you've ever done? I will tell you, it is something that was just kind of done for fun, and we thought it would be a fun thing for the pre- and post-game show and maybe on social media. And it literally became the thing that, like, when I run into fans at the ballpark or at the airport back when we were traveling, like, that ended up becoming like the first thing that the majority of the time they mentioned, they would be like, what's your favorite ballpark food in, the, in this, in this place. I just think it's such a, you know, everybody goes to the ballpark to have a good time and it's not just a game. You're going there to eat. You're going there. I can't tell you how many times I've had people I haven't talked to like since high school, shoot me a text and be like, Hey, I'm going to Oracle. Like what one thing do I have to eat? Like, it, it's just, it's a big deal. Um, and I, that's really the thing I miss most. I think about being on the road. Like I, it was a lot of fun to go into some of these parks and try to figure out what was the weirdest food they had there. And at some point in that series, I'd grab Carrie Crowley and would go into the, go into the concourse and I'd, I'd order, you know, a $27 burger with chicken strips on it and, uh, uh, cheese melt buns and things like that. And, and Carrie was my cameraman. It, it was really fun. <laughs> Ballpark food on an expense account is amazing, by the way. Yeah, it was. That would have been a little bit harder if I had to pay for all those because these places they they all have their signature item, right? And it's like, hey, we have the like the one in Arizona. It's it's like a hot dog, but it's all made out of dessert. So it's like a donut and a churro and ice oh. cream. But it's the signature item every place. So they're like, yeah, that's going to be like nineteen dollars. So right. it, it helped that I get expensive. Uh, uh, you once stated, "I've always tried to come at the beat from a different angle." What what's the angle? What do you go for? You know, I think what I've always tried to do, um, and I don't remember when I said that, but I think what I've always tried to do is just, I grew up a Giants fan. So I, I always try to remember, and certainly, and you know this, I mean, a lot of the fandom gets wiped out of you when you do this as a job. Um, but I, I've always tried to remember what's important to the fans. And just, that, you know, they, they don't necessarily want, like, all the details from a game. I think people want to know what's happening at the ballpark, and, and people – want to get into the fun stuff. Um, so that, that's, I've just always tried to have fun with it, I, I think. And and I, I think especially on Twitter, like, you know, if, if these games go 17 innings, like it gets a little bit loopy for everybody. Right. So I, I, you don't necessarily, <laughs> nobody wants to know who's coming into pitch the 15th inning. They want to know, like, I don't know what, what kind of weird stuff is going on. So I, I've always tried to embrace like the weird stuff and, and the fun stuff. And I, I think there's a lot more of that now is, is, I, I've noticed, especially in the last couple of years, like how young some of these beats have gotten and yeah. how many of these beat writers um, are, you know, 23, 24 years old and, and have really figured out how to screen grab like fun things and, and you know, make images and um, make their own memes and things like that. Like, I, I think when I got into this, like none of that was going on. But now it seems like every new beat writer is, is really good at that stuff. So I think it's a really fun time to cover baseball. But it wasn't like this like five, six years ago. Like a, a lot of the goofier stuff was not, you know, the cut four type of stuff was not covered as much when I got in. So 
um, that's stuff I've always paid attention to. And, and there were other beat writers around the country who were doing the same thing, certainly. And I think now, like, every young beat writer has a really good handle on, on what the fan base wants to see. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, speaking of stuff that's weird, though, maybe not fun, uh, I know you're podcasting, uh, at times even reporting from home. Uh, but obviously last yeah. season, this year as well. What has that experience been like in your job? It's been alternately great and, like, really stressful. I, I think the great part of it is, um, you know, I, it's fun to be home sometimes. Like, I'm, I'm very newly married. Like, it's we have an apartment in the city, and we got a puppy during the pandemic. So it's great. Okay. It's great to be home a lot of the time. And I, I can't even imagine, like, a, at some point I'll get back to traveling, I'm sure, but I, I can't imagine, like, the way I used to go away for, like, 10, 11 days at a time. Like, I, I can't imagine doing that right. again. Um, so that, that's been really good, I, I think. The stressful part is that um, we both work at home, so we and it, it's San Francisco, so you don't have a four bedroom house. So we're, you know, we're alternating um, yes. podcast interviews with with uh, what my wife does and, and her calls, and so I, I think we've done a really good job of that. But it is certainly like we go through each other's schedules, and um, if I have to do an interview with somebody, I'll check with her first and make sure she's not leading a call in the other room, just so we're. So it, that's been like the stressful part of it, I think. And, and it's also like I've had a TV set up in the corner of our apartment, and sometimes it is like a little bit of a scramble to just go because I'm my own IT as well. Like I'm the own tech guy. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, like last week actually, like I was doing the pregame show, and I've gotten pretty used to like there's a rhythm. Like I need to check in like four or five minutes before and um, get the program going, get my mic set up, and and do a mic check, do all of that. And all of a sudden the program we used just had disappeared from my computer. And it was just a mad scramble to figure out how I could redownload it and, and get it going. And we ultimately did it, but it's like, that was something I never had to worry about. It would be like, Hey, you're down on the field at five There's a cameraman there. There's a producer there and just go there and, and just look into the camera. So now it, it's very much like, I think we're doing a lot of things on our own, but uh, there's good and bad to that. Uh, by the way, I have a pandemic pup too. How, how's how's the puppy doing? Everything okay? He's doing pretty well. He's, you know, we we didn't realize when we got him like how he's a miniature pincher, so he's just a very energetic, extremely energetic, extremely smart. Uh, he figured out in about a week how to get out of his X pen, so we that didn't oh, work. So, um, so he is a guy who needs like four or five walks a day and needs a lot of attention, but he's getting a little bit older. He's, he's about one now so he's getting better but um he has certainly taken up a lot of my time but it, it was good I, you know we got him in august and two months later we're in the off season so it, it really helped out in that good. respect but certainly yeah. there have been a couple scares i mean he he has escaped the bedroom a couple times when i've been on live tv <laughs> and like he's, there was one last week where i went back and watched it and you can see me kind of like leaning down to hold him down <laughs> to make sure he doesn't jump up maybe it'll make for good tv but um, yeah, there's been a couple close calls. Yeah, uh, my kids and uh, and my pandemic pop have made many an appearance on the home radio show uh, over and over again. So uh, I think people get it. And, and speaking of all that, like I, I know we're, we're getting close to some form of normalcy, but what parts of the job do you think will never go back to the way they were? I don't think people will travel the same way they did before. I, I know people have started to on, on the Giants beat um, I think just this week have gotten some clearance to travel and, but it, it's not the same. I mean, we, we used to go, you know, on three city trips and, and you would, you'd be gone for 10, 11 days at a time sometimes. And, and, you know, you're, you're in the dugout every day. You're in the clubhouse every day. You're on the field during BP. Like there's just a ton of access. I, I do think ultimately we're going to lose some, some access. Like uh, we've been out of the clubhouse for a year and a half now. So I don't know that we'll ever get back to the point where you can just kind of stand around a guy's locker for um, an hour and a half before a road game. Like, and I don't think that's the best thing anyway. I think there's probably a better way to do it. And, and we found a little bit of that, but I do think, especially with the CBA coming up after this season, that there probably will be some access that we lose. I, I just hope it's not, you know, there are certain things like there's a lot we can learn just by standing around during batting practice and, and chatting with guys off the record and, and just, you know, asking them how they're feeling and, and what the last week has been like for them or something like that. So I, I hope we don't lose a lot of that. But some of the, the access we've gotten, I'm, I'm sure, won't return. Um, I wouldn't, you know, some of it has been good, too. I, I think the Zoom stuff they've been doing with Gabe Kapler has been very helpful. And, and especially people who maybe live two hours away from the ballpark, you don't have to be there at 
at four o'clock every day um, to be there for his pregame thing. So some of it, I'm sure, will will come come back. But I, I think we've learned some good lessons. If you could get into the clubhouse right now, who's the first guy you're approaching, and what are you asking? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, probably Crawford and Belt, just because I've been here basically the whole time they've been here, and yeah. I've had probably a thousand conversations with both of them. And um, I have not talked to either one of them in person since last spring training. So mm-hmm. probably just you know those are the and I've been here. Buster's been here the entire time I've been here as well. Um, so I, I think you know some of the guys that I've just covered for a decade now and haven't had a chance to, to chat with and haven't had a chance to ask. You know, some of what I, I think it's really interesting what they're doing, and it, it's really difficult on Zoom sometimes to to really dig into what's happened, and especially somebody like Crawford and the changes he's made at the plate and, and tapping into power that we haven't seen from him. Like I, I'd love to to chat with him for you know half an hour one day about it, right. um, and do it in person where he could grab a bat and, and kind of show you what's going on instead of being on Zoom. So I, I think it, and then you know some of the new guys too. I mean, I. I Alex Wood, by by all indications that we've had in, in all the interviews, has been phenomenal. Um, somebody I haven't had a chance to meet yet. So I, I think some of the new guys, it'd, it'd be fun to meet. How surprising is all this, everything that you're you're talking about? Like before the season started, wh- wh- who did you think the Giants were going to be? I think I predicted they would be 81 and 81. Because okay. I, I thought they had put together a pretty good roster and a very deep roster, and, and especially – from a hitting perspective, I'm quite frankly shocked by the starting pitching. And, you know, a lot of that's going on around the game. I mean, there are a lot of guys with an ERA under three right now. So, and a shocking number of guys right now with an ERA under two. So I I think a lot of that is just the way the game is being played right now, but I I couldn't have expected them getting two months like this from, from their rotation. And, And just the fact they've all stayed healthy. I mean, I think at the end of the spring when Woods back flares up and, you know, Buster's hip flares up. You start to go like, okay, here we go. This is this is what we knew would be the downfall here. But they've done a pretty good job of, of keeping their key guys on the field. I, I know they've had a lot of injuries, but everybody's had a lot of injuries. And um, so I think the rotation is one. And then the other one is just, I could have seen Buster having a bounce back season and I could have seen Crawford continuing some of what he did last year to, to have them at this point at, I think, 11 and nine homers respectively is mm-hmm. is, you know, pretty surprising, I think. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And then the the question that everyone is asking, you know, is the sustainability of it. Like, if you had to re uh, repredict that record of eighty one and eighty one, what, what would it be now? Yeah, I think I would have them probably at this point somewhere around eighty seven, just because you know, and, and right in that in that wild card race, uh, it is a good roster. I mean, they've put together a good roster. They've done a really nice job of finding guys. You know, Darren Ruff's a great example. Like, he's been phenomenal against left-handers, and that's somebody nobody thought of two years ago. But they just have these guys like that. Steven Duggar comes back. You think maybe he's at risk of being pushed off the 40-man roster, and all of a sudden he's he's playing better than he ever has. So I think there's a lot of depth, and and that'll help them. I I worry a little bit still about the rotation. I, I think we've seen when Logan Webb went down, all of a sudden you look around and go like, oh, there's not like a whole lot, which we knew in spring, but... There's not a whole lot behind him. I, I know they have some young guys coming, and Beatty will help, so maybe that'll help in the second half. But I, I think it, it, it's a group that was put together in a smart way, and, and they really prepare in a really, really smart way for every single game. Now, having said all that, we saw with the Dodgers series that sometimes it just comes down to talent. So, you know, Sometimes there's nothing you can do against Bauer and Bueller and, and Urias and um, Max Muncy. So it It'll come down to that, I think, in the division. But certainly this is a team that I, I think has staying power. And just given kind of the warts from, from a lot of the teams, the Braves, the Mets, uh, issues we've seen around the National League, I don't see any reason why the Giants can't hang around during the summer. Uh, what tweaks might be needed to create that sustainability? Like where, where would you tighten some screws if you were, uh, if you were Farhan and, and Scott Harris? It's something I think they're doing already. I, Ultimately, it's, you know, what we've seen in other places and what we've seen in Los Angeles is, is you need these guys who are going to be here for four or five years, not these guys who are here for a year at a time. And they've been in that position where they had to get these guys who are here for a year at a time because they're, they're trying to clear payroll. They're trying to make sure that if, if Elliot Ramos or Tyler Beatty um, or Joey Bart is ready, 
that they're not blocked at the big league level. So I, I think ultimately a year from now is just going to look a lot different. And two years from now, you know, they hope that they have a, a more set lineup and, and they hope that they have guys that fans can know that guy is going to be here for four or five years. But it's just going to, you know, you're, you just have to wait a little bit. And it, it's tough. I know everybody wanted Ramos here at the end of the spring, but he needed to play more in double A. And, and he got off to a great start and then he scuffled for a couple of weeks. So these guys need that that time in the minors, but I am, you know, one thing they've done, and, and I, I write about this a lot, but I, I don't think it gets enough attention nationally, is just how deep their farm system is and how many guys are on the way. And, and you see even some of the relievers, like in high A, who are striking out two batters an inning. And, um, you know, the Killian kid that they had in, in Eugene, who just came out of nowhere and, and is dominating and quickly got promoted to double A. They have a lot of guys on the way. It's just going to be later this year, next year, the year after, it's going to take some time before they settle in and, and this feels like more normal and more sustainable. Well, and how do you think that that creates a, a, an evolution of the plan? Because now Giants fans are finally getting used to and almost welcoming this, this idea of platoons and let's have the right guy ready at the right time. We've always got this matchup game that we're playing and the Giants do it really well. But with all of those players on the way, add in your financial flexibility of this offseason, how do you see uh, their their approach changing o- o- over the next 12 to 24 months? It's a great point, and, and I do think fans have gotten used to a little bit. You know, the line change has become something we've gotten used to this year. Yeah. It's just, it, you couldn't imagine that two years ago, but now Gable used four guys in a row off the bench, and you go, okay, here comes the line change. Like, uh, I think ultimately I look at the Dodgers – for the most part, I, I think that's just the way they're trying to build. And when they have everything going right, they do have platoons. I mean, they, they will use Chris Taylor in creative ways. You know, Jock Peterson, when he was there, he never faced a lefty. But at the same time, Mookie Betts is in there every single day. Bellinger's in there every day. Muncie is in there every day. Turner, Seager. Um, so they do have the guys, the five or six guys that they've built around. And I, I think in San Francisco, the goal is that, you know, it's Bart or it's Bailey. Uh, it's maybe Will Wilson, Luciano, um, Ramos, Bishop, and, you know, Matos is a guy I'm a huge fan of. And, and they're going to have some of those guys who are in here every day, but there are going to be other guys. You know, maybe your left field is, is similar to what we have now, where you have Alex Dickerson and, and a Darren Ruff type. But I think ultimately that the plan is to have more guys who are in there every single day and, and who don't need to be platooned. And, from a rotation standpoint, you know, to have a rotation where we don't have to ask Gabe Kapler at the end of the weekend, like, what's your rotation for the next series? Because you know who the five guys are, whether it's Corey or Harrison and Beattie, um, whoever it is. I think they want to know who those guys are. And then the exciting thing for Giants fans is that they've shown a, that they can do an incredible job of filling in the cracks. And so if if they have a roster that has a much higher upside from a talent perspective – and you're just looking for a backup catcher. You're just looking for a, a fifth infielder, a platoon bat in left field. Like I, I think Farhan and Scott have shown that they're going to find those guys. I wonder also, though, if anything has happened so far this year. You mentioned the home run numbers for Buster and Brandon. I, I, I don't know to what level any of these quote-unquote older guys, the veterans, were in the plans for next year. Do you think anything has happened so far this year that has been a plan changer? I think it has, and I would say probably especially at shortstop. If you truly believe that Marco Luciano is going to arrive as a shortstop and is going to be a superstar, you don't necessarily need to go out and spend $300 million on, on one of these guys when Brandon Crawford's playing better than basically all of them. Yep. And, you know, I think Luciano could be an option late next year. I mean, we'll see. He wants to be here at the beginning of next year, but if you think you can get another year out of Brandon Crawford and – you know, Dubon's been great when they've moved him there defensively. I know the bat's not really there, but if you think you can kind of get by at shortstop, and not just get by, I mean, Crawford's playing like an all-star, but do that until Luciano is here, you can go spend that money elsewhere. And, and you know, the same thing at, at catcher. Catcher's going to be really interesting because they do have two guys in, in Bart and Bailey who they just absolutely love who are on the way. And Buster doesn't look like he's done. I mean, he doesn't look like he's going to be done in a couple years. So, it could be a thing where you have a really, really good trade ship, a top 50 prospect who's a catcher, and you can go out and, and get who, whether it's a frontline starter or, I don't, you know, a superstar like Mookie Betts, somebody like that, the next Betts that 
that becomes available, like you're going to have some pieces because you don't have to worry as much about filling in catcher and shortstop and first base. All right, Alex, speed round to finish up. Most exciting player on the team. Most exciting player on the team. I'm going to say Kevin Gossman, just because every time he goes out, I think he might throw a no-hitter right now. Yeah, <laughs> it's been good. I know he's not uh, a very excitable guy, but he's just his stuff is electric. It is, it is. Who's the best interview on the team? Brandon Bell. Brandon Bell. Brandon Bell, long time. If you can, if you can get him, and that's the unfortunate thing about the Zoom thing. It's a little bit harder to show humor, but he is the funniest player I've covered over the last decade, <laughs> and, and just a great interview. <laughs> Um, which minor league player, and you mentioned a bunch of them just a couple minutes ago, but uh, if you had to put your chip in one circle, which minor league player is most likely to be a star five years from now? Ooh, that's a great question. I mean, you know, Luciano's the easy one that we've seen. I, I'm gonna, I mentioned Luis Matos. I, I just think he has such an unbelievable swing, and he's off to such a good start. He's also 19 years old, so – I think that guy is going to be like a top 50 prospect by the end of the year, and people are going to be talking about him. Love it. Love it. Yeah, his name is rising quickly. Um, Okay, of all the pitches that Giants pitchers currently throw, which one is the most devastating? Gosman's splitter is the easy answer. I I would also say Alex Wood's slider to the back foot that he just keeps throwing over and over again against some really good hitters, really good right-handed hitters. That's right up there for me as well. Uh, the most important question and last question that I will ask you, where is the best burrito in Santa Barbara? Ooh, so I lived like two blocks away from Freebirds, which is the 24-hour right. place where there's a line like 100 people deep <laughs> in midnight. So I don't know that that's actually the best if you went at like 4 in the afternoon, but I, I will say that there's no experience like being there at 2 in the morning on your way home. <laughs> I wonder what that looked like during the pandemic, by the way. Yeah, that's a great question. I hope I hope they still gave those kids their food because that's right. pretty clutch on your way home. <laughs> I hope they figured what, it out. What would those kids do? Um, Alex, great to have you, man. Thank you so much for doing it. Yeah, anytime. Okay, quick pause to tell you about our sponsor, T-Mobile, one of our favorite partners because of how relevant they are to Giants fans. Because you're never far from McCovey Cove when you've got America's largest and fastest 5G network. In other words, T-Mobile is your ticket to the game, whether you're home or away. The Giants are big league. Why don't you come on up and join them? Switch to T-Mobile, the leader in 5G. Fastest 5G by Open Signal Awards based on average speeds in USA 5G Experience Report January 2021. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. And now back to Inside Giant Moments. Next up, the baby of the group. He hasn't even hit his 30th birthday yet, so they call him Homeroom, a nickname given to him by Hank Shulman, but he's earned the respect of his peers and the Giants organization. Here's my conversation with Kerry Crowley from the Bay Area News Group. Look, I'm not going to waste any time and avoid or delay the breakfast burrito question because it's literally <laughs> in it's in your Merck bio. So... Uh, you're on the search for which major league city has the best breakfast burrito. So do tell who's leading right now. Well, obviously you're not going to find a better breakfast burrito outside the city of San Francisco, but I was fortunate enough when I first started on the beat back full time in 2018 uh, to go to every national league city. And I've been to a few different American league cities. And I would say that San Diego is my number one place to go because I usually stay right next to Petco park. And there's a place called the broken yoke. Very, very popular among members of the giants bullpen in 2018, and 2019. I can tell you, I ran into a number of pitchers at the broken yoke. Tony Watson frequented it quite often. And, uh, yeah, I would say that I usually switch off my order between the breakfast burrito and the breakfast tacos, but I got so accustomed to going there one year that the people actually knew me. And I wasn't living in San Diego, but I ate there about (laughs) ten times in a three-month stretch, and they finally started to recognize me and get my order down. If you can pull off the Norm at Cheers thing in other cities, (laughs) that's that's really elite. But I appreciate it. I, I felt that. I felt that. You know, yeah. it was a little it was a little unsettling when I realized that they knew to get me, you know, coffee, just black, no milk, no sugar, and get the breakfast burrito going as soon as I walked in the restaurant. 
uh, hold everything. Coffee, black, no nothing in it, really? Exactly, exactly. And lots wow. of it, too. Usually, usually four cups by the time I'm done with my breakfast burrito. Wow, man. Wow. That, uh, that does not make it sound like you're the pup of the Giants beat writers. It sounds like you're an old, <laughs> grizzled veteran. Well, here's the secret of the beat. Uh, usually a- after work, most people retreat to their hotel rooms. I like to go out and, and find the local spots in the city around 1130 at midnight. So there's a reason I'm drinking all that coffee in the morning. I got it. I got it. By the way, being the, the pup of the group, if you will, the Giants beat writers, how, how do the other beat writers treat you? Were, were you hazed upon arrival? Never. I, I was so incredibly fortunate to be welcomed because – it's a competitive industry, Mark, and there's uh, there's always something going on where you want to beat your 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 competitors. You want to have the first bit of news of the day. You want to have the best feature story. And uh, I just owe a whole lot to the people who really helped me out when I first started on the beat. And Henry Shulman, Andrew Baggerly, Alex Pavlich, Chris Haft—they all covered the Golden Years, the World Series era teams. They'd all been around. They'd seen young beat writers before. They had no reason to be nice to me. But they absolutely were, and they, they're the ones who show me all the different great places and all the great cities that we've gotten to go to on this beat, and I am forever indebted to how well they've treated me. What was your welcome to the group or just welcome to the Giants moment? I think when Henry learned my name, uh, <laughs> because it took about six months, I would say, uh, before he began to acknowledge me. And uh, I think when Henry, when Henry learned my name and then gave me the nickname Homeroom, along with Dwayne Kuyper and Mike Kruko, uh, I, was, I was scrolling through some, some old videos the other day uh, that a friend had sent to me. And I remember sitting there in 2018, the Giants had a series in Anaheim against the Angels. And NBC Sports Bay Area comes back from a break, and they show me on TV because – Dwayne Kuyper and Mike Kruko wanted to introduce me as homeroom to everyone. And for those of you who don't know, uh, the nickname stemmed from me at the time looking like I belonged in a homeroom history class in high school uh, because I certainly did not look old enough to qualify as a beat writer. Uh, But now my hairline is receding. I drink five cups of coffee a day. And uh, I'm I'm counting down the days to retirement uh, 40-some-odd years from now, Mark. Ah, you're, you are, you are seriously so ready for your sixties already. Listen to you. <laughs> I feel that way for sure. I mean, uh, uh, no question in my mind. I'm ready for that. Uh, your bio also references, by the way, your time throwing pitches in the Giants youth leagues. You're like the Juan Toscano Anderson of the Giants in some sort of a way. <laughs> uh, I, I need to hear about this. What was your connection to the Giants when you were a kid? Uh, well, I mean, I, I just grew up in the city going to Giants games. My very first game was at Oracle Park because uh, I, I was born in, in 94, so I hadn't gone out to Candlestick Park uh, by the time that uh, Oracle Park opened back in 2000. And my very first game was actually pitched by a Giants broadcaster, and Sean Estes. Uh, and I had the opportunity, I think I went for my sixth birthday, and I had the opportunity to tell Estes about that performance uh, a few years ago when I met him. And I said, Sean, uh, you know, you were actually the pitcher who really got me going with Giants baseball. You pitched the first game. He said, how did I do? And I said, well, you got shelled. You didn't make it out of the third <laughs> inning. And it completely ruined my birthday. But other than that, it was fine. Uh, but, yeah, so, so I grew up uh, wanting, to, to, wanting to be a pitcher. Uh, that's what I did in the San Francisco Youth Leagues. A uh, little bit of shortstop as well. But, uh, you know, I really wanted to pitch in high school and a long and and hopefully longer than that. But uh, by the time I was about 14, I think I should have seen Neil Elitrosh or James Andrews because there was, there was for sure some undiagnosed UCL damage. So I'm going to chalk up the end of my baseball career <laughs> to just needing Tommy John surgery that never happened. Well, you know what? That's actually a blessing in disguise because the sooner you get the message that you're not going to make it, <laughs> right the sooner you can come up with a different plan so uh so as soon as you uh, that arm started feeling weird was this the plan uh, no question in my mind i always wanted to be involved in baseball in sports media yeah i think that dating back to even before i realized i, I wasn't going to be a major league player when i got that realization about 10 11 years old uh, i wanted to be the next john miller or Dwayne kuyper no, no question uh, that play-by-play was my passion, that I loved broadcasting. I would sit out in the backyard with, uh, you know, going inside, watching a half of an inning of Giants baseball on TV and listening, and then going back into the backyard and pretending to pitch. 
uh, with a little pitch back there and calling my own game uh, as a broadcaster. So I've been doing that growing up, and I really, I still want to be a broadcaster. I don't think anyone really realizes that, that writing is not my passion, but uh, it does pay the bills. So that's how I ended up in that. And uh, Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be doing what I do. But uh, yeah, one of my favorite things I get to do now on the weekends is, is the Giants pregame show with Marty Lurie and Bill Lasky. And I actually get to talk in the booth with John Miller and Dwayne Kuyper and Dave Fleming. And that, to me, is so far the greatest thrill of my career because it's always what I've wanted to do. Yeah, I was going to say, don't say you, you want to be a broadcaster. You are. You absolutely are. <laughs> well, I want to be a play-by-play broadcaster. And, and that, uh, that dream has started to fade a little bit. But broadcaster, yes, I'm very fortunate to be working on the Giants pregame shows as well. Yeah, Giants beat since 2018. How would you say the gig has evolved since you started? So it's been really interesting, and I'll say this. I actually started part-time. I was uh, working at KMBR a little bit in 2017, and I started on the beat when the Giants, uh, the great 2017 season when they immediately <laughs> lost 12 of 13 when I started. And yeah. ever since then, they've, they, they've had what I call the golden era of Giants baseball. Uh, four straight losing seasons. It's been it's been tough, uh, but but there's been signs of hope. There's been signs of life, and that's always been exciting to cover. And so I, I really do want to stick it out to the, the trajectory of the Giants going from bad to potentially eventually good again, and being able to cover the full gamut of, of different types of seasons that you can have, and uh, the, the next rise of the Giants baseball. I think it would be really cool to be around for that, and perhaps we're experiencing that right now. The Giants off to a great start this season, and so. Uh, it's definitely a challenging beat. The Zoom era is uh, not my favorite, but uh, I- I'm incredibly fortunate for all the experiences that I've had to-, to cover my hometown team. It's something that you know every sports writer dreams of and very few uh, actually get to experience. And so I just consider myself one of the luckiest people in this industry to have done it at such a young age and to, to do it with a sport that I love. You know, you mentioned the COVID effect there and uh, and the struggles, especially for for those like you who I think to really do the job you want to do, you've got to get as close to the players as you can, and you, you just can't do that right now. So how how has this affected your gig? Uh, I would say that I'm doing like a C-plus work right now, uh, <laughs> and, and, and I'm really like maxing out my abilities at that. I think you know, there's, there's so many fun little tidbits that you get from being in the clubhouse. You get story ideas from listening into conversations. You see uh, one of my favorite times of year is when Giants players turn on the Little League World Series in August, and they're breaking down these players, and you can talk to them about different things that are happening and, and talk to them about their experiences as Little League players. And so just those little interactions, Sunday mornings in the clubhouse when uh, the PGA Tour is on and they've all uh, bet on some guys, and so you're saying you can win. It, it really does give you story ideas. It gives you a sense of you know who the leaders of the clubhouse are, who the big voices are, and uh, who can command the room. And so I think it's just really important context to covering the team that we're missing right now. And you develop uh, trust, you develop relationships, and look – there's going to be times where I write things that players don't agree with. I can remember a certain left-handed pitcher who uh, is no longer with the Giants took issue with something I wrote a few years ago. And the next day I walk into the clubhouse and uh, he kind of grabbed me by the arm and, and took me out of the clubhouse and explained why what I wrote was wrong and uh, what I needed to change. And I explained to him why I, why what I wrote, I thought was correct and uh, why I wouldn't be changing it. It was a really important interaction and we came to really trust each other from that interaction. He saw my process. I saw his process. And I think you learn a lot from being uh, around the people who you write about. Yeah. There's a, there's an accountability to that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And that's maybe right there. That's been under discussed. Like we get the idea of those who cover the team aren't, aren't getting that one-on-one time that they need. But I wonder how the players see it because I know the players, especially after you write something, they want to see you the next day. They don't have that opportunity either. Um, do they want you guys back, or, or do you think they're enjoying this? I think they're enjoying it. Okay. <laughs> I, had a, I, had a pretty good, I had a pretty good interview with, uh, with Steven Duggar the other day on Zoom. Before the uh, recording began, he said, oh, man, I, I really miss you guys. You know, it's, it's so different not having you here in the clubhouse. And uh, Steven Duggar has always been really, really gracious with his time with the reporters. He's always been so kind to us. And so uh, I said to him, Steven, there's no way you miss us. There's no way. And he said, well, well, I do, but I'm not sure I can speak for everyone else. And so I thought that, that was really funny because it does yeah. tell 
tell you a little bit about who Steven is as a person and, and why, you know, he's he's so well liked in that Giants clubhouse. He's just very amenable to everyone and is a, is also someone who, who takes interest in you. And so, uh, yeah, I, I enjoy those interactions, but I think that uh, he's probably one of the few who, who would be willing to uh, to open things up right away and have reporters in your face after games that you lose because I know that that's everyone's least favorite thing. Yeah, no doubt. Um, one other thing that's uh, come out of this pandemic situation for you, you started a sports writers course. How's that going? Uh, you know, it, it was really, really strong at the beginning when uh, I was furloughed and was not working and not covering baseball because uh, like the baseball players who were not working, I had to find something else to do. And so that was really exciting. And I felt like I learned a lot. I made a lot of really meaningful connections with the next generation of sports writers. And uh, just, uh, I was so in- incredibly impressed by the positivity and the optimism they had about the industry. And uh, I really have no doubt that the future is going to be in good hands because there's a lot of innovative students that I connected with. And, and these people have some great ideas moving forward right now. It's a little slow, but uh, the course is still alive. We're still on teachable.com, your future in sports writing. And uh, you know, every week or so I, I get a call from someone or an email from someone saying that they've taken the course and uh, they appreciated what they learned and, and or someone who's interested in taking the course. And so that's really enjoyable. Just, just to hear from the next generation of writers, because like I said at the beginning, Alex, Henry, Andy, and Chris Haft were so, so kind to me when I first started. And I, I wouldn't be in this career if it was not for them and the way they treated me at the beginning. And so I would love to be able to be that person for someone else. Even if it's just one person, I, I really think it's important to set the foundation, make things better for people who come after you. Well said, man. Yeah, there's not a one of us doing this that didn't get help uh, somewhere along the road, if not every stop along the road uh before we kind of move on from the the covid situation and and what you're all dealing with uh, i want to ask you this question if you could get into the clubhouse right now who's the first guy you're approaching and what are you asking oh that's that's interesting uh i i would really love to do either a, a long long form feature with brandon crawford or buster posey and it's not that you can't do that right now but I don't think you're going to get the same quality of answer and the ability to ask follow-up questions based on someone's facial expressions that you would from you know sitting down next to them in a chair or you know standing next to their locker and talking to them like you could in the past, where you know the recorder can turn off at any point if they if they want to you know provide some background context on why they said something a certain way. And I just think that that's important. So those are two stories that. I really want to do because Buster Posey's having a historical season at age 34. No one really saw this type of production coming. Brandon Crawford, and we talk about all the different outstanding shortstops in the National League and who are all going to become free agents at the end of this season. Brandon Crawford has outperformed all of them so far this year. He's doing things that only Hall of Famers have done at the age of 34. So to me, it's really fascinating uh, to see those two performances at the early going of the 2021 season. I really want to sit down and hear a lot more from them. Well, an extension of that, let's get into the baseball of this team a little bit. Uh, To what level are they surprising you? Uh, A lot, a lot. No question in my mind. I thought that this team was going to hover around 500 for much of the season. I thought that they did have a soft schedule in April and May, and if they were going to accomplish anything, in 2021, it was going to require them to be dominant in April, and man, they were. I mean, the Dodgers series that they played recently wasn't uh, wasn't nearly what anyone expected after such a hot start, but it was a reminder of how difficult this National League West is going to be. Keep in mind, the Giants, they have one of the deepest rosters in Major League Baseball. And yes, they've been hurt by injuries, but uh, they're also a team that they look like they, they could go out and win the uh, National League Central or win the National League East if they were in one of those divisions. And so I think that it's just a really interesting reframing of perspective now that we've seen this team for almost two months now, what we saw during spring training. Mark, the one thing that I, I just can't get over, the defense was terrible in spring training. The defense was not good in the slightest. And Kai Correa and Juan, Ro- Juan Lotus have this group playing outstanding elite defense that no one foresaw. So a credit to the players, a credit to the coaching staff for, uh, for that turnaround. How sustainable, though? Uh, well, I think that some things are sustainable. I think that their approach at the plate 
uh, the way that they grind down starting pitchers who are not, you know, the top five starting pitchers in the National League, like uh, Trevor Bauer and Walker Bueller. I, I do think that the approach to play is sustainable, and I do think that they're, much of their starting pitching success is sustainable. Look, is Anthony DiSclefani going to perform at an all-star caliber level? Is Alex Wood going to perform at an all-star caliber level through a 162-game season? Maybe not, but can they be above average? Absolutely. Can Kevin Gossman be an ace? He certainly looks like that. And so I think that this is a deep staff. They're going to get Tyler Beatty back here soon. We're really excited about his progress. And I don't think the bullpen is going to be as shaky as it's been. So some things will start to normalize. The pitching won't be nearly as good, uh, at least from the starters, but the bullpen shouldn't be nearly as bad. And so I think that combination, you're still going to have a winning ball club. And I think that uh, I'm now high on the Giants' chances of finishing above 500 this year. Yeah, Giants fans have been a little hesitant at times with the new regime, with Farhan Zaidi's process. Now, of course, with everything going on, he's suddenly starting to look like uh, a genius, which many people in baseball have, have felt for a long time. But is what they're doing in your eyes very different from other teams? And if so, why aren't all the teams doing it? Yeah, I I struggle with this type of question because I don't focus as much on what every other team is doing in terms of player acquisition and, and in terms of how they're building the roster uh, compared to the Giants are because I'm so laser focused on the Giants on a daily basis. But I do think that Farhan's strategy, you know, he mentioned it in November 2018, that opening press conference that he had when he was first hired, just making one smart baseball move after another and not worrying about uh, you know, getting a, a ton of great players all at once or rebuilding all at once and getting rid of all the legacy giants. I just think that his approach has been really smart and really sustainable. It's something that he proved could work in the A's organization. He absolutely proved it could work in the Dodgers organization, which has a whole lot more resources than the A's. So a franchise like the Giants that has as many resources financially as any other team in baseball, uh, they should be really excited about what Farhan has built so far because they're going to have a lot of money to spend and the fans expect them to spend it. I think that uh, uh, there's been some talk that maybe they won't be as aggressive as they once were, but I also think that there should be a lot of pressure from the fan base uh, to put pressure on ownership and, and the front office to spend because the Giants do have that luxury and uh, you can spend a win in this league. Yeah, that, that that's fair, I think, for sure, starting next year. Uh, what's mm-hmm. surprising uh, and, and, and maybe causing adjustments is the way they're playing this year. So how aggressive do you think they should or need to be uh, in order to potentially be a playoff team this year? Yeah, I, it's going to be really interesting if they're still above 500 and still in the race come July when the trade deadline rolls around because they've got an entire – pitching staff of guys who are on one-year contracts so you could theoretically flip and get prospects for and, and make the future better but the important thing to remember when you have a chance you go for it you do not waste it the Giants organization historically will not waste a chance at the trade deadline and I don't see Farhan Zaidi as a guy who wants to extend this losing streak of seasons into five years now that the Giants have had four sub 500 records in a row so I really do think that they have the opportunity to be aggressive does that mean they're going to be in play for Max Scherzer or Chris Bryant? Probably not. But I do think that there are smaller moves that they could make. You know, Farhan has referenced the Marco Scudero move the Giants made back in 2012 and how much of a difference that made. I think we can absolutely see, you know, subtle improvements like that where you're swapping out some guys on a 40-man roster with guys from other teams who can make a big impact in San Francisco. And uh, the Giants, look, they know their fit. They know their organizational philosophy. They've executed it well. They know what they need. And uh, I, I'm really intrigued and excited to see what happens over the next two months because there's a world of possibilities, and uh, the Giants are interesting again, and that's good for everyone. And then what do you think in, in the longer term uh, is is the plan or how it has evolved? You know, the, the guys who are coming, quote-unquote, off the books are, are playing really well. You mentioned the financial flexibility. What do you see right now as, as the plan for the next couple of years? I think you've got to lock up a number of these guys who are uh, on expiring contracts. I mean, do you really want Kevin Gossman to become an ace in San Francisco and then go and use that talent elsewhere? Uh, I'm not so sure the Giants would love that. I think that, you know, if you're looking at shortstops, the Giants could go pursue at the end of the 2021 season. Yes, Corey Seager's going to be out there. Trevor Story's going to be out there. But you've got Marco Luciano on the way in your farm system. And, uh, is 
or either of those guys on a long-term deal going to be better than Brandon Crawford for the next two years? Who knows? I think that Buster Posey could very well be back in a Giants uniform. Alex Wood seems to love this coaching staff. And so uh, I, I am very interested to see what can happen. But I don't think that the Giants can be good in 2022 without bringing a number of their key contributors back. So I think that that's going to become a much bigger storyline over the next few months. Who's going to return? Who does this front office like? And, and who can keep this hot start sustainable because that will all play a key role in those decisions, Mark. Okay, Kerry, speed round to finish this thing up. You ready? Absolutely. Looking forward to it. All right, here we go. Most exciting player on the team. Most exciting player on the team? To me, it's Tyler Rogers. It's probably not a popular answer, but uh, a guy with an 84-mile-an-hour fastball with one of the best ERAs in the league, that to me is exciting. (laughs) That's a good answer. Um, Okay, who's the best interview? The best interview on the team. Whew, that's a tough question. Alex Wood. Alex Wood. Yeah. Yeah. Alex has been great. He's super opinionated. I, I love that. He's never afraid to share. He's excited. He's, uh, you know, optimistic about everything. Alex Wood is a really detailed interview. He's, he's just, he's a great public speaker. A lot of you are going to answer this the same way, but I want to put it out there in case you have a surprise answer. Which current minor league player most likely to be a star five years from now? Luis Matos. Okay. See, there you didn't go. go. You did not go Luciano. I'm going Luis Matos. Every time I look up, he's got two hits. Yeah, that's true. Um, okay. Of all the pitches that current Giants pitchers throw, which is the most devastating? Kevin Gossin's splitter. No question in my mind. Yeah, that, that's a good answer, too. And then lastly – This one, Taylor, just for you, if you could sit and have that breakfast burrito with anyone from the entire organization, who are you picking? Oh, well, you wouldn't miss a chance to do it with Farhan, uh, probably. But uh, because it's the entire organization and because he's an ambassador for the organization, I'm choosing Willie Mays. Oh, that's a good pick. That's a, that's a, (laughs) (laughs) would you even eat a burrito or would you just stare at him? Well, I, I've sat next to Willie Mays as he had a hamburger last year at Scottsdale Spring Training, and so uh, I, I was staring at him. I was not eating a hamburger. I was staring right there. <laughs> Kerry, great stuff. Great to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mark. Thanks so much for listening to Inside Giant Moments, presented by T-Mobile. Don't forget to give us a rating and a review, and share this episode with your friends and family. To make sure you never miss these exclusive conversations each week, subscribe and follow the Inside Giant Moments podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.